2: So subscribe today at www.ajc.com unapologeticallyatl
1: unapologetically ATL.
2: This is Access
0: Atlanta. Every week, we share some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. And of course, we go behind the scenes and find the stories that show Atlanta is one of a kind. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Like everything else, the visual arts have felt the impact of the pandemic. It's made it more difficult to see the work in person, but it's also prompted museums and galleries to expand online access. Today, we're talking about the work of Dawn Williams Boyd, and this is a show that you can actually see in person at the Atlanta Contemporary Arts Center. It offers a perspective on the black experience through the medium of quilts or, as they're referred to here, cloth paintings. Rosalind Bentley brings us a couple of conversations about this show on this week's Access Atlanta podcast. Welcome, Roz. Hey, Shane. How are you? I'm great. And how are you?
3: I cannot complain. <laughs> Things are oh, good.
0: Really, really well. Things are good. good. So so you've talked to uh, several people about uh, the work of Don Williams Boyd, including the artist, right?
3: Yes, I did. Um, you know, Don just had a major show, it was a virtual show. Uh at Fort Gansevoort, which is a um, gallery in New York city. Um, it has been, I'd say a long time coming for her. She is uh, an artist who is now in her late sixties and has been quietly working, 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 working these cloth paintings. And recently, she has just had a flurry of activity and interest, and the Fort Gansevoort show was the start of this. And as you mentioned, Shane, uh, she now has this new show up at the Atlanta Contemporary. And so I was able to talk with the executive director of the Atlanta Contemporary, Veronica Kesnick, and the curator of Dawn's latest show, which is called Death is Swallowed Up by Victory. The curator of that show is Diana Settles, and she joined us. And then Don joined us as well to talk about the arc of her work and this show in particular.
0: Right. And she is an Atlanta artist, right? Oh,
3: absolutely. Um, yeah. She has lived, she was, she while she was born in New Jersey, she came to Atlanta as an infant. Her family has deep deep ties in Atlanta for generations. And she has lived here. She spent a good bit of her adult life working in um, Denver, Colorado. And she was, honestly, she worked for an airline. Uh, She worked in reservations. And so it's a story probably many of us can identify with. You have your day job that you do, but then when you come home at night and on the weekends, you do your passion work, the thing that truly fuels you. And now um, Dawn retired several years ago and she and her husband moved back to Atlanta. And so that passion work, she was able to devote all her time to now full-time. And this is the result of that.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. so and and as I mentioned that you can actually go and visit this the Atlanta contemporary is open. Um, of course they ask that you wear masks and and you know social distancing and all of that. but uh, you know galleries and museums are slowly allowing people back in again.
3: You're absolutely right, Shane. Uh, the Atlanta contemporary is actually, in some ways, among the vanguard of uh, museums and galleries that have really tried to adapt to this new reality that we're living in with COVID. And they have installed a new filtration system within their building. Of course, as you said, they require masks, they require social distancing, they have uh, you know set hours. And there are a lot of institutions now that are doing things like The High Museum and others are doing things like timed entry and absolutely no admittance without a mask. So in that way, viewers are fortunate, those who feel comfortable venturing out like that, um, to actually go and see some art in person, which, as we all know, is a bit different than viewing it on your computer screen.
0: Right, right. And you can see some of her work online. They're, they do still have some of the the images up on the uh, Fort Gansport site, which you mentioned. Um, I looked earlier and saw a few. It's the show is over, but there are still images there. Um, but you can go and see this show in person. Let's just hear from the folks who know this best. And thank you so much for bringing us these conversations, Roslyn. <laughs>
3: All right, well, we're going to be talking now with Veronica Kesnick, who is the executive director of the Atlanta Contemporary, and Diana Settles, who is the curator of the Don Williams Boyd show that is up now at the Contemporary that runs through January 31st. And the name of that show is Death is Swallowed Up by Victory. So I'm glad you guys could join us.
1: Thank, Thank you for
3: inviting us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so maybe you could talk, we can start a bit with you, Veronica. Maybe you can talk about the way a show like Dawn's fits in um, to uh, the contemporary and its mission.
1: Absolutely. So Atlanta Contemporary was founded in 1973 by artists and for artists. And though the exhibitions that we mount in our main galleries are, you know, broader in their perspective in terms of supporting local, regional and national artists. There is a space that has been allocated of our project spaces, which is called Contemporary on Site, which supports kind of our roots and looks back and invites an artist run space to come in and curate in the within the galleries of Atlanta Contemporary. And so this was started a number of years ago and has shown a range of more regionally based artist run spaces. Um, But in this current exhibition that we have up in the main galleries entitled She Is Here, curated by uh, Kristen Cahill and Dericia Mia Damar, it features all female presenting artists. And so we had the previous exhibition was curated by Tiff Siegfrieds of Athens, Georgia. And as I was thinking about our our next exhibition, I reached out to Diana because Diana is a female artist and she thought immediately to present Don Williams Boyd's work in Contemporary on site.
3: Okay. All right. Well, Diana, um, again, thank you for joining us. So I just talk to me a little bit about how you became familiar um, with Don's work, because some of our readers of the AJC may know Don just recently completed a huge show, a virtual show at Fort Gansevoort in New York City. It was self-titled, um, but it was entitled Call Off Paintings, and it went over really, really well. Um, It focused on some of her later series' uh, Trump's America, which looked at kind of race relations and issues of power during the Trump era, but then also it focused quite a bit on civil rights uh, history, uh, mission, and also a lot of um, feminist imagery and conversation. And so I'm wondering, Diana, how you became then familiar with Dawn's work and decided, yep, this is the one.
4: Uh, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. So uh, for the last five years, I've run a gallery and sort of community space in Midtown Atlanta called Hilo Press. And um, a couple months ago, my friend Stefania Antonucci was contacted by the folks at Fort Gansworth to photograph Dawn's work for the show that she was having um, because of all of the you know new safety precautions and constraints of uh, trying to display work uh, amidst COVID-19. Um, and so the night before the shoot happened, uh, Stefania was – asking me about you know just how we were going to uh, set up for shooting the work and when I asked to see what the work looked like she sent me some pictures and I was really excited about it um, Don's work is so beautiful and moving and uh, so I wound up assisting for the next two days with uh, shooting the works and got to know Don over that uh, time. And when Veronica reached out to me in regards to curating the contemporary on-site space, uh, Dawn was the first person who I thought of. Um, And yes, I'm extremely excited to be able to look at her work in person um, with regularity uh, while the show is up. And I was actually with Dawn yesterday um, working on a, uh, lithograph for uh, a lithography subscription that we have through Hilo.
3: Well, what, Veronica, when you saw the works, um, you know, Diana's role is curator, but when you saw the works, um, what was your impression of uh, how this show was going to come together? Because it's a tight show, you know, right. you're talking three works.
1: Right. Contemporary On Site is not a particularly large space, but the way it's oriented and the fact that it's within moments of entering the space, it's often either the first experience that people have when walking into the galleries or kind of the last experience that people have upon exiting. And when Diana brought the works, I had actually recently seen Dawn's work featured in the New York Times. And, you know, of course, as the director was very excited that an artist that we were showing was getting such national uh, and remarkable exposure, but we were, our art handler and I were unwrapping the pieces and we were just completely riveted by the scale, and, you know, the, the sewing and, and intimacy and kind of, you know, we have and She Is Here a lot of artists in that exhibition that are working in sewing and in, in work that would be quantified as kind of quote unquote lap work. And, Here we have these large scale cloth paintings that we unveiled that have texture and and dynamism and intricate, you know, additions of bead beading and and kind of embroidery. But then not only in looking at the you know the content of the form, but then the content of what is represented, it was really, I think, a timely exhibition and people when they when they see these works, you know, they're not only blown away by wanting to walk towards them because again they want to see the detail, but they're overwhelmed and surrounded by that. And it in a weird way, contemporary on site and the way it's shaped is almost like a little nook of a cathedral or a church. And it feels like you're surrounded and embraced or challenged by anything that's on view, but in particular Dawn's work. They, they feel maybe like stained glass or, or something that is heightened to something that is of need to be acknowledged and worshipped and recognized and, and ultimately reckoned with. I love that. I
3: mean, the idea of it being almost a cathedral, experience, you know, um, you know, reverential. Can you talk about the COVID precautions that you have instituted there at the Contemporary?
1: Absolutely. The, you know, Atlanta Contemporary went free in September of 2015. And our, you know, a lot of things changed, changed, but one of the things that was really significant was that our attendance increased 80%. And the demographic diversity shifted Um, and now the majority of our audience are uh, are a diverse audience, our BIPOC, and we know that this disease, this virus is disproportionately impacting persons of color. And we worked very, very hard to ensure that the health and safety of our visitors was first and foremost in in reopening and we reached out to our HVAC company we're lucky in that we had undergone a renovation back in 2013 so we have a relatively new system but we were able to upgrade our HVAC to use something called bipolar ionization technology which makes virus cells such as you know the coronavirus cells inert and it was just one one way we did it, it was a huge cost. And Mm -hmm. it's something that we have financed over the next three years. Um, Because as a nonprofit, not everybody always has extraordinary income allocated for things like this and, or one of them. But, you know, we also clean the facility every single day, and we wipe down countertops. And we have frames that act as plexi partitions between our visitor services and, and people coming in our doors. And we've made our doors one way and we've just done everything to ensure that we are doing what we can to prevent the spread of the coronavirus and also do everything we can to allow people to have safe, thoughtful spaces to gather that are not, you know, the grocery store or a park because we do think that art is essential. (laughs)
3: Well, now we're going to hear from Dawn Williams Boyd herself about her work and about the new show Death is Swallowed Up by Victory at the Atlanta Contemporary. So welcome, Dawn. Thank you for joining us.
2: I'm happy to be
3: here. It's good to have you. Well, um, you know, let's just talk about this show and maybe how it differs a bit from your show earlier at uh, Fort Gansevoort. Um, we know that that show at Fort Gansford just ended. Is that correct?
2: Yes, it did. Okay. Um, on uh, the end of November.
3: Okay. Well, can you tell us how that particular show came about and then Let's talk about the new show at the Atlanta Contemporary.
2: Cloth paintings at Fort Gansevoort. Um, well, the, the relationship that I have with Fort Gansevoort really came out of the blue for me. Um, I'm sure they spent some time looking at uh, my work and my history, but I got a call one afternoon from Lucy Benny at Fort Gansevoort and uh, saying that they were very interested in my work. And over the several weeks of conversation, did I wanna have a solo exhibit online at a New York gallery? And of course, that's an artist's dream come true. So of course, I, I tried to con- control myself, um, but in fact, I was jumping up and down when I got that phone call. Um, well, then they put me together with Sasha Bonet, which was a new experience for me my ex my experience in putting together shows um, is that I do it for myself for the most part. And you know, I need to do, aside from providing the space, I need to do all of the work, uh, all the writing, and you know, the delivery and the installation. And so this was a really new experience for me because I had someone that uh, who I didn't know who was going to be speaking. About my work, and as if any of you who were able to see it, and those of you who can go to Fort Ganser awards website and still see it, um, will see that it was a very lovely collaboration between this young woman, Sasha Bonet, and myself. So it okay. was it was very good.
3: And so Sasha was the curator of Correct. the show. Yes, got you. All right. Well, and the, and basically is I we've kind of talked about uh, a little bit is the fact that that particular show um, spanned not necessarily your entire career with working with um, cloth uh, to paint, but it it, it seemed like a lot of that show was of more recent vintage, if you will.
2: Actually, there were several pieces from the last 19 years that I've been making cloth paintings, it had some fairly early pieces in it. In addition to the most recent series, the, um, the Trump series that I'm doing currently. Um, it had the, especially as an example, the Waiting for Medgar is a piece that I did several years ago. And uh, it was it is a part of a series that I began um, right, actually before I switched to fabric, I was painting in uh, acrylics on various surfaces and doing um, a plastic-based clay called, what well, they used to call it Sculpey. Um, but the Sins of the Father series is a, a group of about, I don't know, about 25 pieces at this point that have talked about the uh, repercussions of racism in the United States over the history of this country. So it had that piece in it. And um, I think it even has Peaches and Evangeline in it, which again is uh, both of those are instances that of history of uh, racial discrimination in this country and racial violence in this country. And so that, in addition to the newer work, and that was one of the most interesting things about that show for me, is it was like a mini retrospective.
3: Got you, got you. Well, let's even talk about, I'd like to hear from you, Um, even though you were born in New Jersey, your family and your growing up years were here, in Atlanta, and so you have, been exposed to, if not just a city that deals with civil rights, you have a family that is creative and that um, there was a lot of sewing, quilting going on. Can you talk about that?
2: There was a lot of sewing going on. My mother, Dr. Narvi Pulse, is the eldest of four daughters. and uh, my grandmother, dubby Hill, raised her daughters, learn, teaching them to sew. She sewed, they all sew. And um, as I think I mentioned to you once before, um, I didn't, aside from my school uniforms, I didn't own a piece of clothing that hadn't been mammy made, if you will. <laughs> um, until I went away to college, and um, I in fact went away to college with a trunk full of what my mother thought was were the appropriate attire for a uh, young woman going to college in uh, 1970. And um, that it, the funny thing is that that trunk went back and forth, back and forth with me every time I left the campus and came back home, but. I only actually remember one piece of clothing from that collection, uh, because I immediately got on campus and bought a pair of bell-bottom hip hugger jeans. So, uh, and remained <laughs> in in that sort of uniform for the next four years. And so, uh, so my parents, my mother did so, and I say, all my aunts sewed. And uh, so, you know, I, like I said to you before, I was that little girl on on uh, Easter Sunday morning who, as we drove from my home to church, uh, was still putting the hymn in, the, in my Easter dress because mother had not quite gotten to that last little detail. So I learned to sew at a very early age. Oh, and man. my brother is very proud to say that he knows how to put hymns in his own pants. So it wasn't just the girls.
3: Got it. Got it. But your mother, um, who was a pretty well-known Atlanta educator, and Mm. your father was also an educator, but your mother um, was a founder of an African history museum. And that's Mm. still around, isn't it? On West End? In West End?
2: It is. It's called Amenela Griot. And when she founded it, it was called Aminola Griot Afrocentric teaching museum. Mother, as you said, was an educator in the Atlanta public school system and that was um, her project, She, her retirement project. She uh, wanted to tell history from an Afrocentric versus a Eurocentric point of view. So when she was alive and running the museum, um, she had uh, timelines that talked about Uh, African history from as far back as records would allow her to go um, through um, modern history. She had this long banner that talked about all the various uh, historic highlights that Africans and African-Americans had achieved throughout our long history. She also had images of um, Black celebrities and she had sections. She talked about, um, you know, the education of black Americans. She talked about black Americans in business. She talked about black Americans in the church and uh, so on and so forth. You know, the, she had a, um, a burning desire to highlight and to record the history of our people in this country. And so we see that
3: actually, it could be said that we see that in your work right now. Um, Yes. So we see that in the Fort Gansevoort show uh, and I definitely believe we see that now in the Atlanta contemporary show, uh, death is swallowed up by victory. So Mm. can you talk about that show and how it speaks to, and maybe not as overtly as some people might think, Mm. uh, how that speaks to civil rights, racial reckoning, racial
2: justice? The, I guess the, well, two things. One, one of the pieces in that exhibit, and I, I want to thank Diana Settles for inviting me to participate in the um, Atlanta Contemporary exhibit. Um, one of the pieces in that exhibit speaks directly to the um, forced migration, if you will, of Africans from the motherland to this country, and it 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 depicts the. Um, slaves who were chained to the um, underdecks of the slavers, slave ships. Um, and the, the decision that some of our ancestors made about whether to survive the transition from one world to another versus those who. Um, were unable to make that transition. Um, the other pieces, one, uh, and I'm totally blanking on the name of my own work, and I'm embarrassed, but you know it's been a really long time <laughs> since I made them. But um, the the other piece is First Corinthians, and so you know I grew up in uh, the West Hunter Street Baptist Church. When it was on West Hunter Street, and um, so I've, I have a an interest in uh, biblical stories, and that, and and I also have an interest in, uh, especially this time of the year, of religious music. So the other two pieces are um, First Corinthians is from the Hallelujah Chorus, and from the Bible, First Corinthians. Uh, 15, the, it, that talks about, uh, we w- at the end, the trumpet will sound and we will be raised, we will be enfleshed, and we will um, go on to a, a, a different transition. And then, of course, the other one is Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and I just really like that song, to tell you the truth. Um, I have several pieces in my collection, there's also one that's the Ave Maria that are, uh, that come from historic um, Christmas carols. And I just love the music and I find it fascinating that the words that were made so many centuries ago are still Thought-provoking and still emotional. This at this point in our uh, existence on this planet, um, they all of those pieces. Going back to the idea of using um, fabric and about using the um, the training that I got from my mother, uh, quite a few of those pieces have fabric that she left to me. And so it was important for me to use them in a way that would honor her and honor her interest in history and honor her interest in um, the development and the um, uh, welfare of Black people as a group. Hopefully that answers your question.
3: It does, it does, it does and wonderfully so. so. Can you talk about your process? Because don't you use, in some ways, a combination of hand, Mm. handwork, and sometimes machine work? Because some of your pieces are so multi-layered, the techniques you use to make water appear as though it's actually Mm. moving, the layering, Mm. um, the, the, the plumpness of someone's lips those seem to be done with very intricate um, hand stitches. Can you talk about, and as they relate to the current show, but maybe more broadly in your work, how you actually piece these
2: works together? The method that I use is based a lot on my, on the, the, um, of using the design elements that I used when I was painting in acrylics and oils on flat surfaces, as far as the composition is concerned, as far as the placement of figures, as far as the, um, the use of the human form, the, the use of light. And then the great thing about fabric is that you get the element of texture naturally. You don't have to impose it by painting the texture. And you get the um, the element of pattern naturally. Again, you don't have to impose it. So um, my method is a very, uh, I would, well, it's a combination of painterly in that I uh, draw the images. In, uh, in a notebook that I use, I blow them up to whatever size I have decided they're going to be. Um, and then I choose my colors and my patterns. And then we have a very, a sort of a switches then to a collage method in that pieces are placed like puzzle pieces into a space that's already been defined for them they're sewn down, and then the most fun part for me is to come back and add uh, surface elements, whether it is beads and sequins, which you will find a lot in the Atlanta Contemporary piece, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. If, when you get a chance to go and see the exhibit, please notice that the several angels that you see Floating across the surface, that each and every one of their halos is a, is a group of beads that have been put together, and each halo is different from the other angel. I can't even think of any reason why angels' halos should all be the same. Um, but the most important thing, and the thing that I, the piece that um, that makes my work different from other artists who work in the same medium is the embroidery that I do in the faces and when you speak of the plumpness of someone's lips, when you speak of the uh, the gaze, the difference in the faces, the um, ability to make the viewer kind of fall into the piece is all about uh, making the the eyes and the gestures, um, but particularly the faces um, recognizable as humans uh, or at least creatures that we are uh, uh, used to seeing and to make them speak um, through their the way that their eyes move, the way that the head is, is rotated the way that the hair um, floats, the way that the the um, the hands uh, speak to you. So it's important to me for you to be able to recognize uh, what's going on. Since the the artwork can't speak to you verbally, it needs to speak to you visually, and it needs to to lead you from one point in the artwork to another. It's, it's very important in a piece of artwork for you to find a place to enter the piece, to let your eye roam around the piece and to pick up the important points, the story that I'm trying to say. Uh, and you do that compositionally, you do that with light, you do it with line, you do it with the, the components of design. so. Um, I have a lot of fun um, putting the lips in particular on because, you know, everyone is fascinated by different parts of uh, the, and the most interesting thing about humans is that we're all slightly different. You know, we basically all have the same uh, head, torso, arms, legs. But when you start looking at people's faces, when you look at their eyes um, and being a, a visualist, i am particularly interested in people's faces because each and every one of them is different and so our eyes the shape of a nose the curl of a lip the you know the way that your your ears stick out all of that is just fascinating to me
3: and when you begin a piece from the time that you begin um until the time that you feel this feels finished, how long does that take?
2: Uh, depending on size, anywhere from six to eight weeks. Um, the uh, it's a it is a repetitive process in that the drawing actually gets done about eight times, and so. Um, So you you draw it in a sketch, you blow the sketch up in pencil, you redo the sketch in um, uh, uh, black ink. Then you have to do it again on tracing paper. You do it again on the fabric with a tracing wheel. You do it again with a sewing machine, needle and thread and then for various parts you do it again with a hand needle and embroidered floss. So it not counting the time that I'm just thinking about the piece, which could be as much as a year, the actual doing the piece, the actual production of the piece usually takes about eight weeks. And you know, there's finishing that has to be done, there's when I'm using beads and sequins, that's a whole nother process. So there are a lot of little processes that uh, accumulate to a finished piece. Well, you
3: call it cloth painting. Mm. A lay person might do a shorthand and say it's a quilt. Can you talk about those,
2: the differences uh, between the two, if there are any? Well, my work is quilted. Quilted simply means that there are several layers that have been um, pierced. So you've taken a needle and thread and you've gone through the top layer, the middle layer, and the back layer. That's what quilted means. Um, Just like, you know, quilted toilet paper, okay? Um, But when you say the word quilt, everybody's grandmother made quilts. Making quilts, quilting layers of fabric is a centuries old process. And it usually has to do with making something warm, Um, Whether it's clothing or bedding, Um, but and and so my work is quilted, but it's not quilted in a way, not any longer. I used to make quilts that were very traditional in that they had several layers, Um, but it's not meant to lay on your bed. Uh, In my mind, When you say the word quilt, I envision those quilts that my grandmother put on the bed when we were little kids that were so heavy that, you know, you had to be certain to go to the bathroom before you went to bed, because once you got in under that quilt, getting out again was going to be a process. So my work is is meant to be hung on a wall. It's a piece of artwork and there are art quilts, but I wanted mine to be distinctive. I wanted you to understand that I'm coming from a painter's background, and I wanted you to understand that it was um, a piece of artwork that you're hanging on that's meant to be hung on your wall um, that is distinctive in that way um, and I wanted to do, to uh, hail to all the quilters that I know out there, but I wanted to make my work stand out from what many other fiber artists are doing. So I, I coined the term cloth paintings, which is a little bit confusing because there are, all, of course, people who paint on cloth. Um, my There's, I think, two pieces in my collection that, actually have paint, well, three pieces that actually have paint on them. But my point is to say that I'm using cloth as my painting medium instead of acrylic or oil or whatever kind of paint that you would ordinarily use. My uh, color medium is the fabric itself. You will normally, not find any actual paint on my work, just in three instances.
3: Okay. Okay. All right. Well, so we have the show.
2: It it is. And it's a beautiful one, too.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have the show up now at the Atlanta Contemporary. Again, it's Death is Swallowed Up by Victory. And so... Dom Williams-Boyd, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and our listeners at Access Atlanta.
0: There's nothing normal about our new normal, but AJC.com is the same trusted source you've always had and we have just as much great content, if not more. That's why each week I'll highlight my personal picks for the best things to do, see, and experience. And the stories are easy to find on AJC.com. John Carr recently left his post as artistic director of Dad's Garage Theater in Atlanta to start a new role as executive producer at Second City Chicago, a premier comedy club in theater and school of improvisation. As he bids farewell to the city he's called home since 2003, Carr left us with a few reflections prompted by the racial reckoning of 2020, highlighting the need for diversity in live performances and the arts community. Read Carr's parting thoughts on AJC.com. As this tumultuous year comes to a close, we look ahead to 2021. Bo Emerson brings us a preview of what's ahead in Atlanta's arts community, which has been through some tough times this year. Among the exciting new developments expected in 2021 is the opening of a new performing arts center in Lawrenceville, which will become the home of Aurora Theater. Find out what else we have to look forward to on AJC.com. Coming up, Melissa Ruggieri will bring us up to date on how things stand in Atlanta's music community. With most music venues still shuttered, how are they planning for an uncertain future? How are the musicians that depend on them faring without the money and exposure that comes with live performances? Read about it on the Atlanta Music Scene blog at AJC.com. The AJC's dining team continues to explore some of the best in takeout with the Atlanta Orders In feature, which you'll find in print in the living section many weekdays. One of the places they recently visited is New Realm Brewing. The craft beer destination from former stone brewing brewmaster and IPA expert Mitch Steele is located steps from the Atlanta Beltline offering panoramic views of the Atlanta skyline from both the open-air rooftop bar and the sprawling beer garden. Read up on all the places the team has visited on the Atlanta Restaurant Scene blog at AJC.com. To get the AJC delivered or to subscribe to the e-paper, go to AJC.com slash subscribe.